morning, everybody. The junkyard dog is back. You know, they tell me that the most important breakfast, or most important meal of the day is breakfast, right? You had breakfast with Dr. House. Now it's time for junk food with me. Okay. So, um, as we start off, I have an hour to do what is called the synoptic problem. You didn't know there was a problem, did you? There ain't no problem. When they say there is a problem, they stepped in the Geschichte. <laughs> now you ranchers, in the last two nights, if you have cattle, you've stepped in more Geschichte with me than you have the whole time you've owned that ranch. Now somebody asked me, could you spell that for me? Because I teach preachers how to swear in the pulpit and get away with it. <laughs> Lowercase G-E-S-C-H-I-C-H-T-E. Geschichte. And to be honest with you, what that means is the Germans said that, that Jesus was uh, raised from the dead ain't history. It's Geschichte. What they mean by that is those crazy Christians were stupid enough to think that Jesus was raised from the dead. So that's, the Geschichte is history through the eyes of a bias of the Christians. It didn't happen. So I call what the Germans, uh, you know, I use it against the Germans. And I have stepped in a whole bunch of Geschichte in my New Testament program since I've been there. You know, le um, let me give you um, I like to be practical. First of all, this is going to be a technical subject, which I don't mean to do, so I'm going to try to make this very practical because people will come and they'll try to perpetrate the fraud. It's a psychological operation. You know that education is a psychological operation. Do you know that? When you go to a school, it doesn't matter what school it is, they are trying to influence your thinking and behavior. Where do they get that thinking and behavior from? For their own professors. A lot of this, I, I, I should have been a, a psychiatrist because as I go and I look at all the professors I've had, I've wondered why did they end up the way they do? It, and it becomes very interesting to me. So let me give you a little principle that I woke up in the middle of the night and a verse was on my mind. How do you evaluate a lot of this stuff that you're going to hear about. Okay, here's I'm going to give you a simple principle that I believe works every time. If you look in your Bibles to John 16, verses 13 and 14, I can give you a basic biblical principle. You don't need to know the Greek. You don't need to know the Hebrew. And that comes from a guy that's, I was in languages, and now I tell, you know what I tell my guys? The best guys at language make the worst preachers. They're technicians, and they'll bore the socks off of you. And the guys that flunk Greek usually have the biggest churches and the best pastors that preach. I don't know why that is. Someone explain that to me. But here is the principle that I want to show you. It says in John 16, 13 through 14, Here's the principle to evaluate everything when somebody's in the pulpit or somebody's teaching. When the Spirit of truth, notice that, the Holy Spirit gives you what? 
When He gives you His Word, you can rely upon His Word. What you can't trust is the preacher or the teacher. Has come, He will guide you into the gist of what Jesus said. The problem, the synoptic, no, the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Now, here it is, very important. He will glorify me. If you have a preacher or a teacher, and they glorify themselves, that's not the Holy Spirit. You know the truth on this one basic principle. Does Jesus Christ get the glory? Or does the gezikta come to the forefront? (laughs) Now that's the spiritual principle. We are called to glorify Jesus. And a spirit-filled person does this. He glorifies Jesus Christ. That's why... I can't speak in what they call tongues today. Why? Well, who does that glorify? The speaker. You want to know? This is a simple principle. If the Holy Spirit is active in someone's ministry, they will want the attention off of themselves. And the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. So how do you know if it's Spirit-filled? Is Jesus receiving the glory? Now, let me get really upset. Let me upset the crowd. If I said I was a Calvinist, who gets the glory? Thank you. If I said I was an Arminian, not an Armenian, they can be nice people, so don't, but an Arminian, who gets the glory? Jacob Arminius. That's why I'll never label myself because all I am is a follower of the Lord Jesus. That's it. Do you glorify Jesus Christ is the basic principle of it all. All right, we're going to step into the Gizhikta. Here we go. The Synoptic Gospels. And I'm going to explain to you in one brief swoop the fraud of the synoptic problem. I've got to shock you. I heard that in seminary, the synoptic problem. That's a psychological operation designed to make you doubt the Word of God. We've been infiltrated. I don't know where the infiltrated started. I don't know how it's there, and I don't have anybody in mind, but we've been infiltrated. Here we go. The gezikti is they want you to think there's a problem. There is no problem. The spirit of truth. You can trust the Gospels. So let's give you a test case. I will show you how this happened. I've got to read, though, some things for you. And I want you to listen, and I'm going to ask you a question. First, I'm going to read Matthew 16, 13 through 20, which is Peter's confession. Matthew 16. Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi. You all know this, so we go to 13. And when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Boys, he was from Houston. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? So they said to him, Some say John the Baptist. You know, if I worked with those kind of students, I don't know, I think I'd be throwing erasers. He, you know, some say John the Baptist. Um, where did I go? This is small print. I'm having trouble there anymore. Uh, where am I? Uh, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but boys, who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered and said, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will make you the first pope. I will build my church. I'm glad you have a sense of humor because I can do that some places and immediately those who are uh, clothes carry start taking stuff out. <laughs> I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now let's stop there. Now keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Jesus praised Peter and told him the Lord revealed that to him, and he got real praise there. Okay, let's go to the same passage in Mark. Mark chapter 8. And let's read 27 through 30, the same portion. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the town of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, Mark, we know from the early church fathers, if we'd read the early church fathers, there would be no problem here. They always said Matthew first. And they also said to us from very early, 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 that behind Mark was Peter. This is Peter's preaching in the early church, and Mark was his interpreter. That's what we know. So behind Mark, really, Mark took Peter's preaching and gave us this gospel. So it says here, Now Jesus' disciples went out to the town of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying, Boys, who do you say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. But he said to them, But who do you say, boys, that I am? Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Then he strictly warned them to tell no one. Okay, compare those two, and I'm going to show you how the synoptic fraud of Mark and priorities started. Think about it now. Okay. When Mark and priority arose, Europe was struggling with gaining independence from the papacy. The Pope, even though they had the Reformation and all of this, the Pope was still trying to be the dominant power in Europe. And the Prussian Bismarck was trying to unify Germany, and every time he did, the Pope would intervene and say, you cannot do that, you know, and Bismarck, you know, was, you got to be careful with those Germans, you know, they're, they're serious business. And there were two universities, Tübingen and Göttingen. Tübingen was Roman Catholic, and the Pope got to appoint all the Roman Catholic professors. All the professors in Germany had to be approved by the Pope. So we have in the 19th century a struggle sociologically, politically between the German government and Rome. And Rome got to appoint all of Bismarck's teachers in it to begin. They were always appointing Roman Catholic scholars. And guess what? Say what you want. The Roman Catholic scholars knew something because they knew that the early church 
you can't knock them in this way. They knew that the early church was firm, 100%. It was Matthew that was written first. So one of the German professors at Göttingen said, hey, Bismarck, you know, have you ever looked at Mark? And I don't know what Bismarck said, but take a look at Mark. Now, if you want to break the papacy, which is not a bad idea. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. You could ignore all of history, which said Matthew was first from the nascent beginnings. Now, let me ask you this question. You're Bismarck. You want to get rid of the Pope. He's appointing too many of your professors, and they're always going with this. Matthew was the first gospel written, and somebody comes up with the idea, you know, why don't we say that Mark was written? Which would you prefer of these two Gospels to start saying for the Gospel you wanted to break yourself of Rome? Which one? There you go. You now know what really happened. There was no, don't let these evangelical, uh, evangelical critical scholars delude you. You'll go to their introductions and they'll say a scientific investigation of the synoptic problem. Nonsense! You, anybody in seminary where they give all the statistics of all of the stuff of this verse and that and that verse and that, they developed that long after Mark was accepted first. You see, they invented the evidence for it after they assumed what they were trying to prove. And the reason why Mark is said now, do you know what it's called? The, proto, the Protestant theory. Protestant theory. Why would it be? Because... Mark was set forth to be first. No time in the history of the early church was Mark ever said to be first. Now, I'll tell you another fraud. So, they, you know what Bismarck said? Go for it. So, they speculated that Mark was first, began to appoint all the professors, broke the Pope through doing that, and then the Germans. They were Mark was first, but you know, the Germans knew that Mark can't explain what's in Matthew and in Luke completely, right? So you know what you do next to perpetrate a fraud? You invent documents that never existed. So we get, guess what? Q. It never existed, except there's a commentary in our library that's this thick that has a commentary on Q. There, here is what critical scholarship does, evangelical or liberal. They can make so much out of nothing until they have this big of a commentary on something that never existed. I'm giving you what really happened with a little bit of humor. It's a fraud. Then... By the way, Mark doesn't have as much as Matthew and Luke, right? So how do you explain that? Well, you multiply documents, and here's what he also say. Uh, Matthew and Luke stepped in the gezikta. <laughs> That's what they started saying, that Matthew and Luke, when didn't have something from Mark, guess what they did? Somebody made it up. Well, the Brits, you know what I tell you, I, I remember... I'm from a Brit. They don't claim me anymore. I'm from a British background, Staffordshire County. Great-grandmother spoke with a British accent, came over. My dad was a Brit. And um, the Brits knew that the Germans were a wee bit 
Well, it wouldn't work. But they like the Germans. The Brits, by the way, forget the Germans. They're not the influence in American theology anymore. It's British theology and anti-wrong. And I'm going, to t- I'm going to explain to you why that happens. I'm going to tell you, I should have been a shrink. I'm going to tell you the psychology of it. I can actually show you what goes on, why we send our men to Europe. And I'm not kidding. I'm going to show you in a study. Anyway, the Brits said, I say, old boy, this won't do. If we say what the Germans say, we can't explain it by two documents. Well, and they had to make up one, and it won't work. What do we do? So Oxford and Cambridge decided to make up more documents. And they became four sources. The only one that actually existed was Mark. The three others, guess what the Brits did? Made it up. They made it up. And so the next thing, listen. There was never any scientific study. Do not let them perpetrate that fraud on your mind. I don't care what New Testament introduction gives you, all the math they give you. Look, figures don't lie. But liars figure. And that was invented all after. I used to read in class, sitting there, scientific investigation of the synoptic problem occurred. And then I began to do the deep research on it. I'm going, this is a bunch of, you ready? Gezikte. There is no problem. They had a sociological, political type of agenda. They wanted to defeat certain things, so the government of certain countries aided them. And we're going to show you another thing. Here's another thing. In Britain, who was coming to the forefront in Britain in terms of destroying the church in the late 19th century, starting in 1859, with the ascent of man? Darwin, everybody was crazy in Britain for Darwin. And everybody was thinking that the solution to everything, they were explaining everything by this little principle, simple to complex. So what's the simplest, shortest gospel in the New Testament? So guess what? We apply evolution, and you'll see all the Brits with the sophisticated accents that I can't do, starting to say, this is real evolution, the... Uh, priority of Mark. And guess where that all came from, which I'm going to show you this morning if I can get there. Wellhausen. And they were uh, infiltrated by a group of people. And the whole synoptic situation is a perpetrated fraud. So, we go. Um, Sandy. By the way, see this name Sandy? He was talked about in the fundamentals as ruining American theology and the British influence in American theology. When was that, Dave? At the turn of the 20th century. The fundamentals warned the church. Guess what? He's mild compared to the Brits today. Streeter popularized the four source. So when you send your men to Europe, especially Britain, guess what? They're going to learn and they're going to come back with. Edwin Abbott was another one that helped. He wrote the simple primitive mark in the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's where the elites gain control, ladies and gentlemen. They control the publishing houses. Try to get a strong, Bible-believing book written. Good luck with today's publishers. 
Abbott, they let Abbott write that. He got in trouble in Britain in his day, but nonetheless, what he said stuck. So how to perpetrate a fraud in New Testament studies. Don't ever mention the real history behind how... See, you know the old statement, a text without a context is a... Don't let them know the history, just put the theory in. So what they do in New Testament introductions, they just put the theory there without telling you how it developed. You go, okay, I'll trust them. Why is it that if I had a book, not the Bible, it won't work. But why is it that when there is paper between two pieces of cardboard, we just immediately capitulate that it must be true? So don't let them be aware of the history. Hide the truth. And then invent concepts out of whole cloth to make it work. And then when it doesn't work and a student goes, oh, oh, Maximus, this makes no sense. Then you know what you do? You shout them down. You ignorant. Don't you dare question me. I'm Dr. Such and Such. How dare you? That's Bill Clinton. You know, how dare you? That's another way they do it, too. I was there. They make nothing. They make something out of nothing. They invent mathematical statistics. All of that was invented many more years later. I didn't know that. At first I thought that's how they did it. Then I discovered how they really invented this hogwash baloney. Wasn't that very unscholarly of me? Yes. Scholarship is a fraud. By the way, the word scholar glorifies you. Who are you to glorify? If you're really filled with God's Spirit, who does the Holy Spirit glorify? And if you're not glorifying Jesus, I don't want to be a scholar. How do you like that? And the guys that are evangelical uh, historical critics are saying, it's sure clear that we failed with you and they've said that to some of my students. I don't care. I I will stand before God and I don't want to be cleaning toilets in the millennial kingdom. I don't say I'll be doing much better than that, but anyway. Okay. Westcott. Oh, let's go here. Westcott, this is interesting. Westcott, you know, say what you want, he was a Brit, but the older Brits were a little better than the newer Brits. The older men were a little bit better. Westcott believed that the Gospels were written as four independent witnesses. Why would they be? Because the Bible says on the basis of how many witnesses a matter is confirmed. So you have four Gospels because they're testifying independently to what Jesus, who Jesus was. You know, in John it says, witness, 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 witness. That was the Jewish way of proving things. So you have four witnesses. Instead, if you have Marco Party, you got one witness and they all involved into a cycloptic mess of four Gospels that really only come from one. Nonsense. And he developed these statistics to show And then as I went back, I noticed many evangelical introductions were saying Westcott proved that they were uh, all from one gospel. And Westcott was saying that's the exact opposite of what Westcott said, that they were all relatively independent. So Westcott supported, and then what you can't, what's another thing you do if you can't prove your point? Go back to the original sources if somebody says something and find out if it's really true because I find every time I do go back, they've distorted what the guy said to prove their point. You'd be surprised how original sources. So after that, uh, all of these statistics came in 50 to 70 years later and all the publishing houses were controlled to promote one thing. 
And anybody that dare question would be silenced or removed because they had an agenda. Now, how else to perpetrate a fraud? Like I said, silence your, silence your critics. Thank you for the opportunity because I don't get many opportunities to go places because I'm crazy and they know it. I don't even go to ETS anymore. They refuse my papers all the time. They won't let me tell this at ETS. I used to have papers accepted at ETS until the new group. And after that, don't call us. We'll call you. No, 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 no. And by the way, I thought I was the only one. And that's, uh, you know, it's conspiracy and they're out to get me. It's paranoia. No, I found other guys that were in my camp that ETS was refusing to tell you these things. Thank you for this opportunity to expose the fraud. And I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at the camera for anybody that would lower themselves to listen to me right now. Anyway, <laughs> Lad, here's another way to perpetrate the fraud. If you believe the way I do, he says that's primarily the concern of laymen. So, oh, you want to be a scholar? Don't listen to him. You want to be a scholar? You follow the historical critical stuff. You step in the gazhikta. Otherwise, you're just merely a layman. See how they call names? Call me names. I don't care. But they'll call you names. That's what happened at seminary. At the seminary I attended for my terminal degree, I won't mention it. It's in the city of Dallas. It's a theological seminary. The thing that they loved, I didn't mention the seminary. I said it was in Dallas, which has a theological seminary in Dallas. Anybody that disagreed with their new historical critical approach, I heard it every day I was in class. Knee-jerk conservative. And then I found out years later, Forgive me, it was Walverd that paid for them to go to Europe and he did in what a seminary was that used to stand so strongly for God's word. Now you're all mad because you like Walverd. You're mad at it. Teachers have the greater judgment. Um, if at all possible, and this is the best one, scientific studies show that if you speak, uh, this is a scientific study by a Chinese linguist on received pronunciation, this is true. Google it, please. I would have loved to have been a shrink. I deal with religious people. My wife was a psychology major at Biola. The Lord knows I need a shrink. <laughs> and after I've been around religious people, now look, when I say that, not everybody is, we don't know, but... I wonder about some that say they know Jesus in the way they are, so not everybody necessarily is born again. They're religious. I mean, religious people blow people up, don't they? By the way, did you know Paul was a jihadist? He went around killing everybody in the church. And then God got a hold of Paul. And then the guy, the guy that wanted to kill everybody came up, became a fervent believer in the Messiah. So when you see these crazy people blowing stuff up, you know what I pray? Lord, save that because if you can save them, they'd become the most remarkable witnesses for Jesus Christ. But they'll cut our hands off. So thank you for closed and open carry in the state of Texas. Anyway, <laughs> how to perpetrate a fraud. Speak with a British accent. It's true. I'm going to show you a study. There is a study that posh English accents for Americans and others are perceived as more intelligent Upper-class British accents. That's what you get at Oxford, Cambridge, Aberdeen, Edinburgh. They sit there, and as boring as they are, I'm just a junkyard dog. They, I say, we must look at the theory of 
barbecue. And then every, all the guys that are over there, oh my, how smart he is. He could be an idiot. But as long as you speak with this British accent. They've done studies on it. And by the way, do you know what accent most villains speak? With an upper class, go to, a, go, to, go to the movies, watch every villain speaks with a British accent. Why? Because villains, to be villains, have to be what? Intelligent. So the Brits have perpetrated a fraud with their perceived pronunciation. You can kind of feel that I, after having been exposed to what British education does and what I've seen, and by the way, Harold Lenzel would support me. He's dead, but he did in his book, Battle for the Bible, and the Bible in the Balance. Others have, would support me. They know will tell you that the damage occurs when we send our men to these places. But what, who won't support that are others who have friends maybe that went there. Well, he's a good guy. Well, does he speak with a British accent? <laughs> with a sophisticated British accent? They have received pronunciation has a prestige. The accent to Americans and others seems to suggest high intelligence. And by the way, we are attracted to high intelligence. That's why no one likes me. I'm an idiot. <laughs> My wife will tell you that. So, look at this. Very British villains and other Anglo-Saxon ad ad uh, attitudes to accents. Look it up. The British accent sophisticated is perceived as more intelligent. That doesn't mean it is. It's our perception. So, I'm going to show you that in the revolution, Paul Revere, the British are coming, the British are coming, the British are coming, and we broke away, thank God. And every preacher had a musket and a cannon behind his pulpit. No, I advocate violence, but I'm, it's nice to be back in Texas. I live on the left coast. You gotta come out to live on the left coast. And you'll know. Thanks for not holding it against me. I've drunk the water, so you know I'm crazy. Anyway, I want to show you something where where this is so true. Here we go. You ready? This is a movie clip. You ready? I like Mel Gibson. Can you hear this? Wait, wait, we gotta stop. Can you get me sound? Can you hear it? All right. Huh? I gotta go back then. Uh, do you? I got to turn it up. Is that okay? Let me, wait, I don't know what's going to happen, but let me turn up my sound. This is the only one I'm going to show, and it's before you throw me out of here. Um, here we go. Here's where the British accent comes in with a villain. But, huh? That's right. Here's what you want to save your seminary? Do you want to save any seminary? The British are coming. It's not the Germans. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. You want to save your seminary? I studied under guys influenced by British accents. I'll tell you something. The Redcoats are coming. And if you want to keep your seminaries alive on fire for God, for, it's my personal opinion you should throw them out. Did you hear that? I wasn't talking to these precious people here. Here we go. Let's try this again. Whoop. Can you hear that? Go, Mel, go! He's an American! 
Well, he's Australian, really, but he's pretending to be an American. Release the prisoners! Release the prisoners! They took America captives! Prisoner exchange. He has 18 of our officers. Who is he? I recognize him. He's the commander of the militia. Your ghost. See that sword, Colonel! He rode in under a white flag for a formal parley. This is madness. If you harm him, you condemn our officers. With respect, sir, he's killed as many officers in the last two months. He has shown no aggression here. Yeah. Hence, he cannot be touched. Has he not? You! We all the ghost, are you? I remember you and that farm, that stupid little boy. Did he die? Hmm? You know, it's an ugly business doing one's duty. But just occasionally, it's a real pleasure. Before this war's over, I'm going to kill you. Why wait? Even the dogs want to go with the Americans. Now, I use humor because humor is an effective means of telling you our evangelical seminaries at the turn of the 20th century were captured by the Germans. Daniel Fuller, Charles Fuller, the, the old-time gospel hour, uh, wanted more prestige for his seminary so he sent his son, Daniel. The rest is history of what happened to Fuller. But how do you tell the presidents that his son, nepotism, fancy term for hiring of relatives, how do you tell the president that your son has gone off the cliff? He studied in Basel under uh, Bart. But now forget the Germans. They're honest people. Their schools are in total unbelief, and they will admit that to you. I like reading the Germans. They will tell me, I don't believe it. I can take that, hot or cold. But the Brits have captured evangelical. Now, in the 21st century, please, if you ever get that book on the 21st century, I mean on uh, vital issues in the inerrancy debate, the sophisticated British accent scholars were sending our men there. They're doing a psychological operation. Our Books, publishers in Christianity are only... Go look at who's allowed to publish. It's never some little squirt like me from a fundamentalist seminary. It's always Oxford, Cambridge, or uh, Harvard, Yale, you name the ilk of... And that's why our, our seminaries that formed after the 20th century meltdown in the denominations are all in the sewer now. The British have taken us now, not the Germans. It's the Brits. 
And our guys go over there because they pick up the prestige of the university. Why, well, I'm from Oxford. I'm from Cambridge. Would you? I, you'd be... That's like holy water on a vampire to some people. You know, you ever throw... <laughs> I'm from Oxford. Don't you question me. I, you couldn't have qualified like me. And that's what's going on. I'll cut through and I'll cut through all the gajikta and give to you what's actually going on. Our universities are being, Christian universities destroyed because we don't have a zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a zeal to become scholars and sophisticated evangelical critical scholars. Well, I want the old-fashioned preachers that didn't care what other people thought. They will preach God's word no matter what the cost. And to use an unbiblical term, those men were sold out and surrendered to Jesus Christ. And I don't, the world hated them. And, and the, the, the evangelical critical scholars mock and laugh at idiots like me. And I am an idiot. But we've been, the British are coming. They're here. So here's one. There's N.T. Wright. He's the most popular man. He gets to write books like crazy. He speaks with a sophisticated British accent. There he is with a wee bit of ale. That's a picture there. So here's a basic bibliography. If you want to read some of my stuff, I don't tell you this to focus attention on me, just that I've written on all of this stuff for you to take a look at if you ever want it and you've got it there. So at no time has anyone ever conducted a scientific study. Math was invented after. There was a sociological political agenda. The synoptic problem has always been driven by philosophy. You know what drove why Mark was first? The Brits will say, well, you know, in Mark there's not as much miraculous stuff that we have to deal with, such as angels visiting the, and the magi. We, we, I don't, we don't want to explain. I mean, let's get it. So Mark is shorter, doesn't have some of that. So it was anti-miraculous. And by the way, until 1750, no synoptic problem ever existed. So, hey Dave, what happened in 1750? Baruch Spinoza worked his miracle. He was a very smart guy. Baruch was a lens grinder. He should have stayed in that business. He loved philosophy. He died at 42. Um, uh, from tuberculosis. Baruch is the grandfather of all modern criticism of the gospel, including what you learned at evangelical seminaries. And I'm going to show it to you. Baruch did something that was genius. You know, I don't blame him. I look, he looked around and he saw all the Pope and all the kings cutting off people's heads and saying, don't you question me. Doesn't the Bible say that I have the right to bear sword? And so everybody was getting killed by these crazy leaders. And then he was in an Orthodox Jewish community in the Netherlands and the rabbis in that day could actually stone their own members. I know some preachers today would like to do that, but we can't do that. Wouldn't you? Come on, come on, let's be honest. Anyway, Baruch looked around and he had friends that had died in the Inquisition. They tried to force Jewish people to become Christians. I can have a sympathy here. And he said, I'm going to stop the influence of both the Old and the New Testament. And he invented genius way to do it. He decided that he would get people to ask an endless barrage of questions about things behind the text. You'd be asking all sorts of stuff about issues behind the text. What sources are behind the text? Who cares? It's not the sources that are inspired. It's God's Word. The power for a preacher is not in the nice stories you tell. The power for a preacher 
is not in the suit and tie. The power of a preacher is in the one who stays faithful to the Word of God and the Spirit of God fills that man. And he can be a blithering idiot in the eyes of the world and he'll rock the world because it's the power in the living Word of God. So Baruch began this endless barrage of wanting everybody to ask questions about things behind the text. So guess what never got preached? The text. So you see today you go to seminary and you get in your PhD program in New Testament all you're asking are secondary issues not about the text but about issues behind it. Now here I'm going to prove it to you. You're pre some of you guys are preachers. Some of you may have a commentaries in an original language like Greek. Take it out and I can tell you that when you take out a commentary on Matthew today which only evangelical critical scholars seem to be allowed to write and you uh, look, or the Brits, you will see that they will spend, in my estimation, a half to two-thirds of the time dealing with Mark, Q, M, and L, and how this and that on the sources behind it, and they're never explaining the text. Spinoza won. The next people that took it over after Baruch, Benny to his friends. Benito, Benny. Um was the deists. Today we owe the fathers of our biblical criticism are deists. You know what deists believe? Jesus was a fraud. And that he started a religion, got killed in doing so, and his disciples didn't want to go to work for a living, so they perpetrated the fraud after they killed Jesus. The deists invented our modern form of biblical criticism. By the way, the liberals will admit that. But guess who won't admit that? evangelical critical scholars because that would be a real admission, wouldn't it? Never forget, listen, the, there's a book by David Laird Dungan called Constantine's Bible. And it's a good little book. I don't endorse everything that he's, he passed away now. But he showed in Constantine's Bible that the early church was filled with men who cared about the Word of God. And there was, anybody a detective here? There was an unbroken chain of custody. Do you know what that means? Remember the OJ trial? They took the blood and didn't catalog it and keep it in custody. And so the other side could say they spread blood everywhere because it broke the chain of custody from one person logged in to the next person. Listen to me. That's what the early church did with all of the 27 books of the Bible, there was an unbroken chain of custody. And Eusebius shows us, and David Laird Dungan takes you through this, that there was those 27 books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and this one, that is incontrovertible externally. That Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote those books. Now, but what we get today is, how did Mark get first? Now let me pick on someone else to make you mad. And he might not have known, but have you ever looked at the Ryrie Study Bible? Who does he say was the first gospel? Now get mad at me because, you know, I can't have prejudice. You know, I even talk, I don't even agree with myself. I sit in the mirror in the morning and I argue. I, you know, you're more of an idiot, I tell myself, than anything. I'll mention everybody. And if you really are into market party, could it be that that's what they taught you in seminary? And it's hard sometimes to go back and take a look at some of this stuff, but be warned. It's okay, whatever. Um, let's go here. I want to show you what's really going on. Why does this happen? Uh, 
I, can't, I don't have time. But I got into a book by a chemist with a PhD that also functions. You're not supposed to call somebody a rabbi. So Jesus said, call no man what? Well, the mo- and John says, rabbi means what? Teacher. Better be careful with the word even teacher. Anyway, Antelman wrote two books. I have both. To eliminate the opiate. Now that's his way of saying that he found strong evidence. And as he will say, if I could play it for you, it's not a conspiracy theory, it's a conspiracy fact that in, in the study of the Old Testament in Judaism was destroyed by an infiltration into it. The lady last night asked about that. Get his books and he'll show you. He's only talking about the Old Testament. But I began to read his works and I began to notice some names were going over into the New Testament. And did you know that Sabbath Zvi claimed he was the Messiah in the 17th century? And you know how many Jews followed him? One and a half million Jews in Europe followed him. And he said, here's how we'll bring in the Messianic kingdom. Throw out Moses. Do whatever you want. And they had orgies and everything. And today in New York, do you know how, what prayer book is sold more than any other according to Antelman? Franca's prayer book. Then there was a guy, which is Zabit Zvi. This guy here on the other side is Jacob Frank. He then said, I'm the reincarnation. And one and a half million followed him, but they never followed the real Messiah, Jesus, my Savior. Anyway, you can listen to Edelman uh, sometime. By the way, before you dismiss this theory, I found out that Harvard and Yale, before they controlled the publishing, the elites, the media is controlled by six corporations. Did you know that? Somebody said, you know, Dave, you're on the Internet too much. ABC, NBC, you name it, they're all controlled by six corporations and they filter and want you. Did you hear that MSNBC reporter? We tell people what, they want, what we want them to think. It's time for rebellion. And I know that in Texas... <laughs> I sense it. You wanted to be your own state at one time. Now that's my kind of people. Anyway, you read Entelman. He starts talking about how what is known as the... You never Have you ever heard of the Illuminati? No, I don't know if they call themselves that. But he shows it. You ought to read Robinson, Proof of a Conspiracy, 1790. You can get it as a free PDF. Proofs of a Conspiracy. He was in it. God saved him. And he got out of it. And he told everybody the alarm. I know you think I'm crazy, and I am. By the way, here are some people that did JEDP. There's Astrock. He had converted to Catholicism from Judaism. Come from a Jewish family. You see this? Watch pictures with this. These are theologians. You know what this means? The hidden hand. That means they're up to something. They're signaling. You just don't know the signals. Oh, yeah, I'm crazy. And yes, it's a, conspiracy, it's a conspiracy fact. You can't prove everything because if it's secret, it's hard. But nonetheless, this is where some... David Michaelis was friends with Mendelssohn and others in these secret groups. Here is what their purpose was. To interpret the New Testament Michaelis without any dogmatic presuppositions. That means treat it like any other book. And what's happening today in evangelicalism? Treating it like any other book. I go on. So here's what they did according to the rabbi, Antelman, who's a chemist and was, is very intelligent. The man was smart. Here's what they do. They develop a close circle of individuals whose main objective was to destroy the Bible. 
Intellectuals should be mainly academics. By the way, as the seminaries go, what? Then the intellectual groups should control the dissemination, control the publishing houses. Four, then they had a secret group that met, biblical destruction group. This is from what Antelman discovered. Read his books. You'll find them interesting. They were self-perpetuating, control all media and publishing. Those who are not formal members of the group but were useful idiots, I called it. That's what I think is happening in, in some areas. They don't even have an idea of what they're absorbing. Then their goal was to be in a position to destroy any academician or intellectual who did not conform to their ideas of destroying Christianity. Paul's warning. Should we find this strange? What did Paul say? All the Athenians and the foreigners got up on Areopagus Hill to do what? Here's something novel. What did Paul say? Watch! For we will have what? In sheep's clothing. I don't know who they are. I don't say anybody I've talked about is. I just know Paul's warning. See to it that no one takes you captive. By the whole synoptic problem is a fraud. We've been captive. By the way, to say that to a Brit, they would throw me out. You need to be aware of the thinking behind it. There's one of my favorite programs, The X-Files. Truth is out there. Trust. Huh? No one. You can't trust me. So you know what I tell you to do? You take these slides and you investigate it yourself. Take the time to see if I'm as crazy as I appear to be. It's true. The truth is out there, Mr. Mulder. Trust no one. Sorry. It'll keep you safe as a man of God and a woman of God. You can't trust anybody. Here's grammatical historical exegesis. Dr. House has dealt with that. Here is the pyramid of historical criticism, all the philosophies that gave rise to it. We have a philosophical problem, not a theological problem. And until we call attention to the fact that alien philosophy has crept into our seminaries that do not honor God, how do you know if it's from the Holy Spirit? It glorifies whom? And if it doesn't glorify Jesus, reject it. Simple as that. Now here's what this is. Listen, all of this education now is a psychological operation. You know what that is? The, the, the military does this. They can go into some place and defeat the enemy before they ever fired a shot. The Tavistock Institute, you got to look that one up. The Brits, Tavistock Institute and the British Royal Affairs Institute developed the science in the turn of the 20th century how to impact your thinking. And all of this, in my opinion, is a perpetrated fraud designed to what? Put up in your mind a psychological operation that you can't know who Jesus was. Tonight we'll talk about that because they're searching for Jesus. They're searching for the historical Jesus. Can you help find him? I want to pin... Now listen, I'm not talking about the real Jesus when I say this, but I want to pin the tail on the historical Jesus. Why? Because there was no such thing. The historical Jesus we're going to find out tonight is a Jesus that the world does not want to accept. And now even evangelicals are searching for the fraud. See, the historical Jesus means I don't like the Jesus of the Bible. So I'm going to find the Jesus, historical Jesus. That's a philosophical term designed to destroy Christianity. So what do evangelical critical scholars do, in my opinion? 
jump on board. Now, what this is, gzikte is a psychological operation on your mind when you get to seminary to make you think when you read the Gospels, you're not seeing Jesus, you're seeing a filtered block wall. You have to look at sources and then what the early church form gzikte or the forms they preached about. Then you have to look at how some unknown writer, we call that redactions gzikte. Don't step in the... And by the time you're done, you are destroyed in your faith because you don't know that these are living documents of the Holy Spirit of eyewitness who's telling you exactly the way Jesus was. And by the way, only the Jesus of the Gospels saves. The historical Jesus is a fraud. He never, and it doesn't mean Jesus in history, it's historical Jesus, Jesus we want because we don't like the Jesus of the Bible. So when evangelicals use that term, I'm asking them, do you know how this developed? And if you do, why are you ignoring its historical development? Are you whitewashing it? That's what they're trying to do with our seminary. The Brits and everybody else, the Germans, put up a psychological barrier. What's the goal? To destroy the Word of God. I know God won't let them do it. But nonetheless, that's what the big... And then probably there are evangelicals that, you know... Um, um, look at the one at the bottom the person is you on the bottom see that one arrow over here the one arrow that says person and then there's just one arrow I have four blocks with gizikta up there but here's what the real case is you see that that's you when you read the word of God eyewitness testimony plenary, verbally inspired by men who ate with Jesus, who were with him, walked with him, saw him, and are testifying to you directly. And you're right here with Jesus. But you see, there are forces in this world that do not want you. Jesus threatens. Who's the God of this world? Do you think Satan wants you to know that you can trust the Word of God? Do you think, i tell you where you start to destroy the church, you start with its schools and its, I hate the term, clergy. <laughs> and you destroy Christianity from within. I have kids from the Soviet Union. Their, da their dads were in churches and they were their dads they never saw because they were hiding from the KGB. And the church in Russia was safe during the time of KGB. And in, in China too, secret police. I asked one kid from China. He says, secret police come into our churches all the time. I said, how do you know? He says, they're the ones that fall asleep during the sermon. <laughs> Must be a lot of secret police in my church. That's all I have to say. We wake them up only for the offering. Anyway. Um, they were safe when the secret police came in and their life was on the line for the faith. But now Russia and all these countries are being destroyed because evangelicals have gone in there and exposed them to all of our cults, all of our psychological operations, our sophisticated British accents, and the rest is history. You want to keep a school safe? Become aware. So 
Down at the bottom, what you really are when you read the Gospels is you are listening to the men that walk with Jesus. Unbroken chain of custody that are testifying to you. They knew him. They knew who he was. And when he was resurrected and the saints were resurrected, <laughs> they met him. And we want to know that this is their, it's not Greco-Roman biography where they get the gist of what Jesus said. Come forward and believe because we have the gist. I'll tell you about that tonight. That's a, you're right there with Jesus. You're sitting at the feet of the eyewitnesses of Jesus on his lap. And I don't know how this happened. But it's our fault. We've kind of fallen asleep at the wheel. I can't wait till cars drive themselves. Because that means I can be on the internet looking at all my conspiracy theories and everything and let the thing drive. And I just hope that all of these guys, these programmers, have, uh, know what they're doing because I can do a lot more fun things. You ever been to L.A. and try to dodge traffic? I don't know how many times uh, I have been almost killed on I-5. Most trucks in the world go down I-5 corridor. And they don't care because they know they're bigger than you. So I can't wait for self-driving cars. Anyway, I don't know what that has to do with this. But <laughs> they are going to have self-driving trucks too. And robots. And when they come for us, Tommy, it won't be a soldier. It will be the Terminator-type robot. No, really. You ought to see them. Have you seen some of those things that they're building? The guys that are in technology know what's coming. They will be able to sniff you out from miles away. Shall we say Allah Akbar to hear the national groups to listen to us? Okay. Okay. So it's a psychological operation. You can look at that. I gave you a lot of this in the Jesus Quest. Um, I don't know where I want to go. Um, I told you you'd get sick. Here's Mark, Q, M, and L. They made all of that up except for Mark. None of that existed. Then the Brits got a hold of it. None of this except for Mark. Two gospel hypotheses. Streeter. Why it matters. Six axioms. You can read that. There is no synoptic problem. It became a problem when we allowed philosophy to take control of how we think. And by the way, all of this that I'm talking about, the modern approach to the synoptic gospels did not come from the root of inerrancy. It comes from the roots of errancy and its concomitant destruction goal of taking out the church. And that just shows you that I am an idiot. And that just shows you why most seminaries wouldn't touch me with a 10-foot pole. And if they would spit on the best part of me, they would say, no, he doesn't even have a good part to spit on. <laughs> so I'll open it up. I can't believe I went through the synoptic. That was the Campbell's Soup condensed version of the synoptic problem. <laughs> Add water to it and go back and read. All right. Um, I know I've upset because some of you might have been Mark and Proyas innocently. Well, I'm not, I still like you. I don't think it's informed, but, you know. I remember the most boring class I had in seminary was NTI when we were going through the synoptic had problem. Bob Thomas. That's what all the guys said. Did you have Bob? No, no, no I, was a, I was at Dallas. I had Ed Bloom. Oh. You know, but it convinced me of one thing, that, that Q was a fraud and that Mark and Priority was probably a fraud. And are, did you ever read Niemela's dissertation, no. John Niemela? He's in a book that 
uh, I wrote on three views in which he took a statistical approach to it that he believes statistics um, prove Matthean priority. Uh, so I remember the article. Yeah, yeah, he, that's his dissertation. He he wrote that. In fact, his his outside reader was uh, William Farmer at SMU. Farmer was a big advocate of marking priority in Q. And then he found out the fraud. And he found out the fraud. He he read Niemöller's dissertation, and most of us can't understand it because about a third of it is just just statistics. And but but what what Niemöller demonstrated was that. Uh, the impossibility of Q and uh, methane priority on the basis of, of of statistics, plus a lot of other uh, a lot of other analysis. But it, you know, so historically, what I'm saying is that Chafer Theological Seminary has always taken a stand, and we have not. I mean, it's not an official doctrinal statement, but. I believe that most of the faculty and and George and our founder, we did not buy into this. In fact, I've been an advocate of Methean priority since I was in seminary. I'd still like you if you weren't. You know, a lot of people just don't. I'm not know saying this, that to be know. popular. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> because it doesn't make you popular. No. <laughs> there are three percent of New Testament guys are Matthean. How what percent? Three. And ninety seven percent would be um, Markin, and then there's idiots like me that compromise point oh 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 one that go with an odd little version, but that's okay. I, it, you know, I mean, it's nothing personal; it's business. Remember what Vito Corleone said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any questions? Okay. You know, part of the question is: Does anybody understand it enough to ask a question? <laughs> Just remember, gzikta. That's all you have to remember. Just mark a party, it, and you got it. Okay. Paul. Don't step in the... Uh, that's, that's the only thing you remember. I've done okay. Every now and then I come across someone that wants to get an accredited uh, degree from an accredited seminary, and they'll often turn to this one particular theological seminary that's in this town just south of Plano, Texas. Is that near Dallas? <laughs> in that neighborhood, yes, yes. Remember, uh, I was talking a city. Is there a good accredited seminary that I can recommend where they aren't likely to step in the German word for bullcrap? I cannot recommend. I cannot and will not recommend any seminary. The better word is scubala. Scubalon. Now, if you want to, if you preachers, if you want to swear, swear in a pulpit, and no one will know you're being biblical. Scubalon. You know, Paul got it right. He said this. Yeah. I count everything except knowing Jesus Christ to be what scubalon. You know what that meant? We euphemize it. We the, what it should say is dung. Yeah. Or even worse. Horse hockey. If it doesn't glorify Jesus Christ, it is not of the Holy Spirit of the Living God. All right, the qu question, I mean, this is important for, for people who want to go into the military, for want to go to um, uh, chaplain and hospital, any, anything like that. They look for accreditation. I think accreditation is going to come back and bite a lot of people because of the uh, same-sex marriage issues and things like that. I, w I will talk about this. On one hand, accreditation allows for transfer of your credits. So you'll lose many students. They will say, well, if I go to your seminary and I can't transfer your credits. But there is also the other side that says the seminary, once they started the approval of, of, of uh, at least where we're at, this is uh, Sachs, isn't it? Southern Association. Okay. It's Wuskuk now. They call it out with us. 
that can cause some domino impact. So you have to, if you do seek accreditation, you have to be very careful because I'll tell you what's going to happen. Here's my prediction. You heard it here. I'm, I'm not a prophet. Don't stone me. It's going to happen first in California. Uh, every school now is dependent upon Pell Grants and other things for their students. The government wants to give you money. That's like Reagan used to say. I'm from the government. I want to help. What's going to happen now is this. In a few years, and I don't care if Trump's in office or whatever, it's going to happen. They're going to say, if you want our government filthy lucre, you have to have hiring practices of and, and having students that you have to have and you can't discriminate or we'll take your money away. So that means this. Seminaries are going to lose and Christian schools, it'll start in California and New York. They're going to lose all of these monies that they need and most Christian schools without the government money. Do you think that was by accident, by the way? Do you think that was by accident, by the way, that the government, or is there a cunning God of this world that knows? Once they lose the government monies in grants and scholarships, most Christian schools are gone. It'll start in California and New York. So get ready, and that means that, listen, why give your money to some of these evangelical seminaries that already are doing what they do? If you, if you give money, give it to a place that's holding for the Lord, don't waste your money on some seminaries now because there's going to come a day when good Christian schools that are small, struggling, <coughs> will not have the filthy lucre of the government to depend upon, and they'll have to close. It's coming. And if Hillary would have been elected, I don't get into politics, but if she would have been elected, I was predicting that it would have been within four to eight years, most at least Christian schools would have been closed. God had mercy on us. But you know what Christians often do? They, they rest on their laurels. <coughs> don't trust Trump either. You don't have to applaud me. Throw something at me. Tomatoes, whatever. But they're going to lose their money. He's applauding the thought. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Uh, we have time for one, yes, sir. One, one more question. I saw one in the back. That's it. And then we're going to break. Um, just a thought. Um, the um, Ephesians 4 speaks about um, infants who are easily um, swayed by doctrines of men. And I'm wondering, these faculties, these teachers in the, um, in the schools, can we say that probably they are infants? And that's no, why they were influenced by such, um, such um, destructive no, teachings. No, I won't, and I if won't they, personally so, deprecate I them. I think they're tremendous. I want to say this on the record. These guys are very, they're 10 million zillion times smarter than I am. Okay. So I don't want to personal. This is not personal. This is business. I have to warn the church. And some of these guys are great guys. But what I'm trying to show you is when you get to, the, to look around at what is being advocated, and the goal of Ephesians 4 says this. The goal of a preacher is not to turn you into Calvin. The goal of a preacher is not to turn you into Jacob Arminius. The goal of a preacher is to take and make you like Jesus Christ. All right. Okay, so really and preachers forget that. Okay. Sorry, I was going to say where I'm really going 
is that if that is the case, shouldn't we then be reconsidering the framework for identifying, training, or teaching, or, or um, employing teachers for the seminaries to be sure that they are not the kind of people who will easily be swayed by the new teaching uh, seminaries new are detached from a local church. You know what that means? Who's governing these 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 seminaries when they're detached? There's no God-fearing preachers to keep these seminaries in line. You have a board of rich men. If I were a rich man, you know, you know fiddler on the roof. Um, that's what we do. But I'm a radical thinker. And remember now, I don't even agree with myself half the time on some of this. I think the hook is coming out and I'm off the stage. <laughs> Dave, thank you very, sure. very much. It gets worse tonight. <laughs> it get, gets worse tonight, he said. All right. We're going to break now for lunch. I'm going to pray 